1: Hello, welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Earl. Hello. And Noah. Hi, y'all. Uh, about a year ago now, I pieced together like some clips from some of our earlier episodes, uh, and you know, talking about stuff like universal healthcare, uh, universal basic income, you know, the jobs guarantee proposal. I th- I think was one of the things that made it into this episode. And one of the ideas I had for what I would title the episode was the future we want, and an idea for what this episode might be is the future they want. And in this case, the they is Silicon Valley and the likes of Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, uh, the people running Microsoft and Google. They have a vision for the future as well. And it does not line up with ours, you might be surprised to learn. <laughs> um, the vision of work under you know the reign of Silicon Valley is one in which... Nobody is an employee anymore. We are all independent contractors with the freedoms and limitations, mainly limitations, that implies. And I think it's worth exploring that on this show today and what that means for workers.
2: Bad things. (coughs) It's pretty much just all bad. As as you said just now, the – I mean, I'm saying this as somebody who's been a full-time employee his entire working life. I'm not in tech. I'm not in any of those industries. But it certainly seems to me, looking in from the outside, that independent contractors, uh, for every one guy who gets quoted saying that he makes twice as much as a contractor or freelancer as he did as a full-time employee, or that you know his unique mind works better when he's exposed to the vagaries of the market, <laughs> I'd have to guess that there's 10 or 100 or 1,000 that uh that's simply not true for that for them the independent contracting model is mostly something that takes away their power takes away their freedom and often takes away their dignity
3: mm-hmm. yeah and just speaking from like a i mean a freelancers point of view um you know it also allows uh the employers to dodge uh, tax burden, uh, which I don't know if a lot of people are aware of that aren't freelancers, but you know, when you have a job with a paycheck, you know your employer pays half of Social Security and Medicare, and when you're freelance, you pay that all yourself. Uh, which and those those programs are important. It's not that I don't think those programs should be funded. It's just that that's one of those things that also besides the precarity of not knowing. Uh, you know, from day to day or how long your contract's going to run, uh, almost no freelancers have benefits. Uh, and then also on top of that, you also have to pay more taxes while your employer gets to skate on that part of it for you. <laughs> Which these are companies
2: that famously are already skating on the Already taxes. very good at avoiding uh, right. taxes. Yeah. And,
1: and this is the business model of the entire gig economy. And, and in effect, uh, Uber and Lyft especially, they have the only reason they are still around is because they've been able to get the law, or at least the judges, to agree that their workers are, in fact, you know, independent contractors and not entitled to things like, you know, minimum hourly wage and benefits and all the things employees have that independent contractors do not. And and they have pitched this as, you know, you know, independence for workers, but they would not be doing it if it wasn't benefiting themselves.
0: Yeah.
3: Right, yeah. Um, and so, Ryan, at the beginning of the episode, I think that you framed it very well in terms of it's basically two – there's a future that we want and a future that they want. Um, and so just speaking personally, one of my main motivations for being you know, a socialist basically – uh, is the, uh, the idea that that technology, on a long enough time uh, line, leads to what's been called by some people as you know fully l- automated luxury communism, right? To, for whatever, whether you like that term or not, you know it's it's, it's a uh, you know a good way to describe uh, what we're talking about. So of course, that's assuming that we avoid uh, climate cataclysm along the way. You know, we've got some some uh, hoops to jump through there. Um, More on that later. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but you know. It, it, As far as our technological history and this and what we're going to be talking about mostly, I think, is like digital technology. But like any any path of technology um, is basically the goal is to alleviate the burden on humans and the work that they're doing. Um, You know, we used to ride horses instead of walking. Uh, Then we expanded our tech scope to include rail and cars and planes. Um, Maybe the best example of where we're at now is uh, uh, agriculture. Um, you know, in the frontier days, basically everyone was, uh, a farmer and our output was terrible. Uh, now, uh, according to like some census data, basically less than 2% of the population is directly employed in agriculture. Uh, I doubt that this includes, you know, off the book like day laborers and things like that, but still that's right. There you are. Yeah. That's a very few, that's very few, uh, very small percentage of our, our population and the U S produces enough food to feed everyone. Uh, The whole planet, right? We actually make enough food to feed our food food. Uh, You know, the vast majority of the corn and soy that's grown goes to feed cattle, which we then eat. So we actually have so much food, we can feed uh, food food. So uh, this productive track has been true in most industries. uh, Less and less human uh, labor is needed. Um, And so on a long enough time scale, it's pretty much easy to see that eventually we're going to get to a point and we may or may not already be there or we're starting to see the effects of that, we're just going to need less and less labor, which means less and less jobs for people. And so we basically have two choices, right? The choices are, we own the machines, or the means of production, or they do. Uh, And so some of the things that we're going to talk about today as far as like Lyft and these things that are going on are maybe first steps to that sort of dystopic Mm -hmm. version of this where capital owns everything, and we are just sort of left to mm-hmm. rot.
1: And and we've seen the effects of some of this starting already. You know, nobody feels secure in their job anymore, as is, let alone, you know, 20, 30 years down the line. And in a lot of ways, the world of tech has jumped in to sort of alleviate the problems that we shouldn't have. Um, this <laughs> right. isn't necessarily a tech example, but there was that, Big story a couple weeks ago of a billionaire like Robert Smith, I think it was his name, uh, Mm -hmm. paying these student debts of 400 students to the tune of like a $100 million or numbers in that range. And, you know, and that's great. You know, generosity, sure, you know, applaud that. But why are we in a situation where this guy has a billion dollars and thousands of students have, thousands of dollars each in right. student debt, you know. His gift is not going to solve that structural issue. It papers over and not even for everybody involved. And tech is in a lot of ways the same. You we have seen the rise of the gig economy to fill the gaps that used to just you used to be able to make do on one job. You know, you didn't mm-hmm. need to have a side hustle. You didn't need to, you know, use your own car and your own resources to make money on the side to make ends meet. But tech has jumped in to fill that gap and they have pitched that as, you know, generosity. Hey, we're giving you flexibility, but Mm -hmm. it's solving a problem that shouldn't exist. And so in that respect, you know, it's not great.
3: Uh, So yeah, that's been their main defense, like Uber and Lyft and the gig economy in general, that this is This is supposed to be a side hustle in the same way that fast food jobs are supposed to be for, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, kids in high school or something like that. But, you know, according to um, a report from Upwork, uh, 36 percent of Americans, that's 57.3 million people, are now freelancing. That's not those aren't that's not side hustle. That's Mm -hmm. uh, that's a third of the population working in the gig economy working. Mm -hmm. So the idea of the side hustle needs to go. Well that's one of the biggest ironies of this whole thing that
2: it's the quote unquote tech industry to the point that it exists that is refusing to recognize reality mm-hmm. because it can afford to and because it is helpful for it to do so. Right. Um, on the one hand, when what's outmoded is you know the traditional model of taxi companies, then Uber and Lyft are supposed to be the new hotness. The new game in town until they get enough venture capital to overtake and force that competition out of the market, and then they can jack up prices and act exactly like the model they chose and, to replace. And to date,
1: you know, Uber and Lyft—they don't make money. They have—they're not supposed to. Is well, the yeah, thing. it's
2: right. the same with Amazon. Amazon's mm-hmm. not supposed to post a real profit uh, in in sort of absolute terms until it finally gets the US Postal Service to stop existing. <laughs> then right. uh, then you're going to see what Jeff mm-hmm. Be- how just how hard Jeff Bezos can line his pockets. Right. Yeah. Until that moment it's always supposed to run just a little bit above because then and this is the other sort of prong of that when what's outmoded is treating your workers like crap, then suddenly Uber and Lyft and Amazon are perfectly willing to act exactly like all of the companies that they're claiming they're not like. That's the thing. They're just, the only real innovation is that they figured out the marketing and the public relations to sell these things in a way that like a Jay Gould or a Rockefeller Mm would have struggled with in the constraints of their time. But now you can just throw up a few Fiverr ads telling people like, what is it, your lunches? a cup yeah. of watered-down coffee or right. whatever it is, yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's yeah. supposed to be enough somehow. Right, yeah.
1: And I, I think you're on to the point where a lot of what the tech industry has succeeded in doing, at least in terms of its labor, is replacing, you know, stability and wages with these sort of perks, you know, this uh, the flexibility, the, you know, the... Startup mindset. Well, for a lot of people, this is something they're passionate about their jobs. You know, we've talked about how employers will use workers' uh, passions, you know, to squeeze mm-hmm. more labor out of them without mm-hmm. actually giving them material w- rewards for that work.
2: And if you try to unionize after all of that, mm-hmm. uh, you might get froyo out of your tech billionaire. <laughs> right. That was Elon Musk's move, by the way. Yeah, mm-hmm. smooth. It's so. Again, I work in education. Hi, if you've heard an episode <laughs> of me, you know this. Um, and I am not union. Uh, most educators across the country are because they're in public schools. Most public schools are unionized. I am not one of those. Um, and one of the things that I find hilarious about this kind of tech work is that the tech industry understands that when you hire for skill or when you hire for for specific needs at a company, be that in terms of, what they have on their resume, or be that in terms of just needing the bodies, as we've discussed on previous episodes. Uh, One of the articles that you sent, Ryan, talks about how, well, companies could just, you know, not enforce the rules against non-employees eating for free in the cafeteria, or maybe companies allow, you know, managers individually might allow contractors to go to these like employee outings or to go to staff meetings and so on. And all I'm thinking is like, I'm as close as it gets to that kind of labor within the educational world because there are cer- certain minimum things that you do have to offer um, for, for full-time employees at least. And uh, I don't get to eat for free in the cafeteria. <laughs> I don't get to go see projection figures at meetings. I Nobody tells me a damn thing.. Right. So in a lot of ways, it just it strikes me that even in an industry that's supposed to be absolutely cutting edge, and that's always seeking to improve upon itself, or at least that's what they tell us when they're right. selling us their new app or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, or new gamification, more on that later, um, they will, they they are exactly the same as every previous dominant paradigm in the world of capital.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think both of you are, are right to point out that this the problems we're talking about today are not exclusive to the world of tech, but... I I think they and their leadership at least exemplify a certain attitude towards the problems, you know, this idea that we will progress through it or in some cases a blindness to the fact that p- these problems exist. You know, there's a very futurist uh utopian mindset mindset that exists in Silicon Valley, uh, whether it's Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg that their companies will be the ones to solve the problems of the future whatever those problems might be
2: i i wonder what this has to do with and this is a very old episode but we did that episode about the case against genius and you know if you were carnegie or rockefeller uh you might have had some kind of shrewdness or cunning in how you ran your business but ultimately it's not like you came up with a better steel you know like you didn't extract a better metal from the ground or right. or whatever and the thing with people like Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos or whoever is that, and and this is probably the most annoying bit and why we talk about this industry so particularly, is that people worship them as these absolute geniuses. And meanwhile, Elon Musk, this very morning that we're recording, got presumably incredibly stoned and decided <laughs> to tweet about tunnels for hours on end. Yep. Um, and he's still going to have fans after this. You know, people who will genuinely think, well, he's going to solve all these problems in a way that I don't think previous generations had to deal with
1: in that regard. And must the tunnel thing is an interesting example. It's not directly a labor story, but it it's uh, typical of this attitude. You know, he wants to... His whole project has been this much touted Hyperloop, this idea that we will get around underground, but not using you know, our existing underground transportation systems. Instead, he's going to build tunnels designed for cars. And in a recent example, you know, showcase of this great innovation, he has a car going through what is just a road underground now. It is not the Hyperloop you know, he had promised. And the end result is that you save a little time on your commute, assuming there's no lines to get into the tunnel. Which there will be. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, again, it's the idea is to solve the problem of congestion that we already have a decent solution for in the ter- form of public transit. You know, Right.
3: The you solution know, is not more cars. The solution Whether is- Whether they're so in the, tunnels or otherwise.
1: <laughs> what,
2: what, the, what was it called? An Uber pool or something when they yeah. literally yeah. just invented a bus? Yeah.
3: yeah.
1: Right. Yes, that's right. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. That you was a literally tweet, made a and boss. then it became
2: yeah. real life.
1: Right. Yeah. It, yeah. Silicon Valley is just inventing things that already exist. The, right. They're idiots. Is the <laughs> ultimate thing <laughs> okay.
2: in the original sense of the word. <laughs> they are completely isolated from any outside influence because they are constantly told by yes men yes, people, I guess, that their ideas are good. They're mostly men. This is true. But they're constantly told that their ideas are good and that they're very smart and that they know exactly what they're doing. And after a while, what that does to a person is it's literally going to make them think that they can say any stupid thing and it will be regarded as though, you know, God laser printed it onto a tablet, Mm. which for a lot of people, whatever one of these guys says, that is functionally the equivalent. And... That's fine if it's, you know, ridiculous like this Hyperloop business. I mean, it's stupid,
1: but as (laughs) you said— It's very bad that cities are giving money to it. Yes.
2: But as you said, it's not like directly a labor story. I think it's so much worse Mm -hmm. when what we're praising from these people uh, is—to sort of bring it back to the original thing—how they treat their workforce. Because that is a direct source of harm. And there's a bunch of people sitting there going like, oh, well, you know, of course they do it that way. That's what proves they're smart. Mm
1: -hmm. And we've talked a couple of weeks ago, we talked about, you know, the issue of crunch in the video game industry, which is sort of, you know, it's tech, but it's sort of tangential to what we're discussing today. And another area where, uh, you know, long hours and high pace of work has been discussed is Amazon's warehouses, where they, you know, do all the things that make, you know, your Roomba come on time or whatever you might have ordered. Um, Now, there was a recent article in the Washington Post, which is owned by Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon, about uh, what Amazon is doing to, I guess, alleviate the issue of, you know, it sucks to work in their warehouse. And Noah, I know you want to talk about this. They gamified it. (laughs)
2: <laughs> That's what they did. They gamified it. They created video games, lame Super Mario Brothers era NES 8-bit crap mm-hmm. video games that are supposed to make you feel better about the fact that, as Earl pointed out uh, uh, earlier on this very episode, that as the technology level, as the automation in each of those warehouses increased, did their jobs get any easier? Mm, no. Instead, what happened was an employee who used to be expected to stock what is it, 100, 200 shelves per day, hour, yeah. what have you, now is expected to do yeah. twice that amount of work because a robot is bringing them the shelf, and their job got more
3: tedious. Yes. Right. Yeah.
2: And so now we have they had to invent video games right. to get them to get it to suck less. And again, as somebody who deals with this in the educational context, I can tell you. Gamification is a boondoggle that works for uh, 48, 72 hours. And after that, it just becomes a way of hiding the thing that's already there. You are relying on the addictive potential of essentially recreating Candy Crush Mm because that's really what you're doing in the end. You're relying on the addictive potential of that to obscure the fact that the job you are still doing is crap. But the difference is that when you play Candy Crush, you get to clear your mind and not do anything for a while. Instead, here what you're doing, this is the functional equivalent of fabrezing a bathroom. It's just going to cover the stench. It's not going to fix it.
3: Right. So just to to speak to the you know the, the gamification and going back to what Noah said earlier about the um, the hero worship of these of these guys, and it's because they're they're pitching they're pitching the utopian ideal right they're pitching the technological technological future where people are uh truly flexible like they pitch in the gig economy and things like that and people want to believe them but it's really difficult to believe them when they're actively i mean uber's uber it's known that uber hopes to automate their cars like Mm -hmm. they don't want workers. And Amazon, as you were just discussing, has automated large parts of its warehouse. And the reason is, is because the sort of last point of leverage that, that labor has over capital is that we can withhold our work. Uh, and as soon as that isn't an option anymore, like you mentioned with the post office and, uh, you know, in Amazon, as soon as they don't have a need for like labor, then we're really going to see like the abuses that we have now are going to look like child's play right like mm-hmm. as soon as they don't actually need labor anymore it's effectively over <laughs> yeah. if, if
2: you think if you think people use learn to code now as an excuse you just wait until <laughs> everything is being done by machines and the only job you can get is repair person to a machine right, right. i mean yeah. it's going it, it's going to make the current like push for Uh, devaluing STEM degrees and, Mm -hmm. you know, pushing that into every single corner and granting money to whatever ridiculous project, as long as it has something to do with computers or robots, it's going to make all of that look tiny. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if we let them do it. Mm -hmm. Right. Which we shouldn't.
1: (laughs) And when, when you talk about workers having leverage because they are workers and they, you know, have some control over the process, uh, I I think that's an important point and it's something we're going to to explore more after this break.
3: You're listening
2: to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue
3: slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.
1: Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, still joined by Earl. Hello again. And Noah. Still hi, y'all. Um, we were talking before the break about, you know, the vision that tech CEOs have for the future of labor. And one of the companies we were discussing was Amazon, led by Jeff Bezos. And last week, they had their one of their shareholders meetings. I think they have two of these a year, because I also saw a story about one from November, I think. But... This is a report from Gizmodo that I I think is worth exploring. Um, At Amazon's shareholder meeting today, employees and investors voted on a wide-ranging spate of proposals, from banning the practice of selling facial recognition technology to adopting a serious plan to address climate change. Each of the proposals ultimately failed, but they were undeniable signs of a paradigm shift underway at the online retail giant and perhaps the tech industry at large. Few, if any, such shareholder proposals have been made before, and CEO Jeff Bezos all but refused to acknowledge them. What they're describing in the article is that there were workers who at Amazon who you know were speaking out about the company's um, reliance on fossil fuels and their lack of a plan to deal with the reality of climate change, and also separately. Uh, they, they are developing this facial recognition technology and talking to, like, the police and immigration and customs enforcement about, right. you know, utilizing that, which uh, a lot of employees have a lot of good reasons for, you know, not wanting. <laughs> right. And Jeff Bezos kind of brushed these concerns off because, you know, he's the guy with the power, basically. And, uh... There were some shareholders on the side of the workers on these issues, but not enough to pass the resolutions in question. And what this sort of creates is there's, in addition to the obvious battle between capital and labor that exists at any sort of firm, in tech companies, we're seeing now a gap between the business interests of the company and their workers' more progressive views because- Their workers are largely, you know, upper class, you know, urbanites who, you know, have probably vote Democrat and have views that don't align with their company's bottom line.
3: Yeah. Just to like lend some numbers too to that. You mentioned that, you know, Bezos basically all but brushed this off. Uh, The woman, I didn't write her name down. I feel bad. Emily Cunningham. Okay. Emily Cunningham uh, was basically said that, you know, she's representing 7,700 Amazon employees who have signed on uh, to this. Climate policy, and she asked Bezos directly to come out so that she could speak to him directly. And he, well, he didn't obviously. So
2: she wasn't nice enough about it. It's like trying to get a badger out. You gotta, <laughs> right. be, you gotta really take that your makes, time. Yeah, and that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: that.
1: They, they have a quote from one of the employees who was at this, you know, uh, meeting and who addressed Bezos directly. Quote. None of our 100% renewable energy goals have a date. In the climate crisis, winning slowly is the same as losing, the employee continued. In my Amazon work, I know I'm always expected to have dates and milestones on my product plans. Jeff, what is the date for when we will achieve 100% renewable energy for all of Amazon's operations? And Amazon, of course, bills itself as this big, you know, it's a tech-focused firm, but at the end of the day, they rely on a whole bunch of trucks. You know, right, right. Yep, yeah, a whole bunch of delivery yeah. vans to make yeah. all their goods move, and those trucks and vans run on oil, which is you know killing the planet. Yeah, right. uh,
2: that man, I should note, has since probably been fired for calling him Jeff
3: repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not Lord, Lord yeah. Bezos. Your highness. I, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember what's on the letterhead. I think it's Lord Bezos. Yeah, <laughs> <sounds good>. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah,
2: it's uh, you know, Amazon not only relies on those fossil fuels, but I think it mentioned that at the end of that article. It was kind of a side note that Amazon has a division that explicitly promises that it will help oil and gas companies find fossil fuels more efficiently. Which a great, amazing that, uh, for the that, future of the planet. That is bad. Yeah. And I don't remember if I said one or a whatever B, um, that's what those companies do. It just it feels on some level like uh, bringing coal to Newcastle. You know, <clears throat> um, Amazon is so tech focused that now they're trying to tell other evil, terrible companies that are also killing the planet here, so you can kill it faster. Yeah. We will help you with that. That's dark stuff.
1: It really is. (laughs) And I know, Earl, you've been wanting to get into this. Oh, man, Jeff Bezos doesn't have a response to when his employee talks about what the company is doing about climate change. But he personally has a plan for climate change, of course. Yeah, he just –
3: he wants to go to space. He basically wants to – he wants to – okay, so basically just to step back a minute. He recognizes the unsustainable nature of the system that – made him the richest person in history, right? To the extent that he recognizes that we have to move capitalism off planet in order not to destroy uh, the planet. So, you know, they, Bezos and people like that can't even relinquish, they can't even imagine a world where they relinquish control to anybody else or their workers or make decisions that benefit other people to the point that he's willing to just continue... Uh, our history of colonization and moving it outwards into space. Much harder than making basic changes here on earth. Much, much harder.
2: <laughs> that That's the amazing bit to me that it's not that hard, uh, comparatively speaking. Right. It's not that hard to fix what is wrong with the planet at the moment. Right. But because uh, the Bezos says, Bezo I, whatever, of the world, right. they can't come up with a way – where they, they they can't come up with a way where they still win right. at the end of that. And exactly. that's the problem for them. Right. They've never had to lose. They've never... I don't care if he used his door as a desk or whatever, but he's, <laughs> since the very beginning the story of a company like Amazon or a company like Tesla or Microsoft or Google is Hmm. basically of success after success, of going from strength to strength, of even adversity being like a temporary obstacle. Hmm. And so when you put in front of them this massive interconnected thing that climate change is and go, this is going to kill the planet, this is going to kill hundreds of millions of people, this is going to destroy life as we know it, his response is, no it won't because I'm going to change life as we know it to be in space right yeah. because I've never watched an episode of like G Gundam and yeah. don't know what I'm talking yeah. about.
3: And also to be to be fair or not to be fair, but to be clear about what he's talking about, I don't think Bezos has any interest in going to space. He wants to send workers to space right He basically said in that uh, that he wants uh, he wants Earth to be a place that you go on vacation and that you go to college. And that you, you know, he basically wants to make it this idyllic paradise, which again is why a lot of people are like, well, that that sounds great. Like he wants to make Earth, but you just, you're not, but you can't believe that stuff when they're <laughs> gamifying people's jobs because they're so tedious that they wouldn't do them. Imagine,
2: imagine how much better the video games will be on the
3: asteroid farm. Right. <laughs> it's true. The, I think latency in space I, is very low. Wolf. <laughs> There
2: are
1: sorry, <laughs> good tech joke, girl. Yeah. there are uh, two things here. One is, once again, we have an issue of tech is inventing a solution to a problem we should not have. Right, and absolutely. Two, yep. um, I, I think one of the stated reasons you know Bezos gave, or maybe it was Elon Musk, who was also fascinated with the idea of space exploration, mm-hmm. is you Light know, his car. we are running out of resources on Earth, and. Do you know how many resources are on the moon or Mars? Not many. Right, right. And and to
2: extract the resources that are there, the moon would no longer be there, which (laughs) would ruin the point of turning Earth into an idyllic paradise. Like this is – you know, I said in the last segment that these people are idiots, but it's – it's one thing to not be able to break out of Robert Barron modes of thinking, mm-hmm. of of being unable to do that, but it's something else to get to the point where even fifteen <laughs> seconds of applying like fifth grade science right. to very apply
3: rudimentary would tell <laughs> right. you, yeah, this right. is dumb. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, that's sorry. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, it, it's it's yeah.
2: this is like this is like the tech bro version of tides go
3: in, tides come right. out. You exactly. Can't explain that's that. literally what I was thinking. Yeah, that. But so so basically, because I mean, this is what it boils down to, right? is you you're talking to someone like Bezos right and you go okay look so you're the... first this is what i'm this is what I'm gonna do if he's listening I know you're listening Bezos Jeff uh, yeah Jeff sorry I'll call you Jeff Jeff jeffy I like that better all right. so anyways so you're talking to you're talking to jeffy and you go <laughs> and, and you say all right look man we get we got two options you're the richest man uh in the world in the history of human society your uh company is sprawling right you Personally, have the means to fix this, right, or to start putting things into motion uh, to to fix these things, and he basically goes, "Yeah, but what if we mine asteroids, though?" <laughs> right, that's his yeah, pitch. His yeah. pitch is to say, "Well, yeah, I mean, I." Guess I could, but that would require me, you know, giving up power to lots of other people, uh, not being th- the thing that gives me my identity, which is being the richest person in the world, not blah being, blah whatever. Yeah, I would much would rather
1: have fewer of those puffy vests. Yes, right. yeah, you know what, what I mean. He couldn't look like
2: a Marvel supervillain yeah. anymore, <laughs> showing up yeah. to like random meetings. He's
3: he, jacked. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's, yeah, he's got nothing to do has, all day. He can exactly. just, him, just sit around and work out all day. It'd be great. You just, yeah. you just know yeah. he's the kind of person who's like, you'll be in there with a meeting. Yeah. Uh, you'll be in there trying to meet with him. And he'll just be lifting weights yeah. the entire he's, time. He's bench pressing he under
3: thinking? a mirror. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but what what yeah, is, that's, yeah. I'm sorry, God. No, yeah. no, That's yeah. no, absolutely what, right. What does he have yeah. to care about? Right, it's, yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that, but that's, that's basically his pitch. His pitch is to let's invent robots that can land on asteroids that are traveling 20,000 miles per hour. Which, again, these are things that are, technically technically possible but why would we do that like why would we and who's going to be out there in space not Bezos. yeah the most the literally the most dangerous place in the universe is just anywhere outside of earth right and he's just like well nah it's fine let's just go we'll just go there it'll be fine i think he just like saw the martian and was like you know if you can grow
2: potatoes there i can right. probably put yeah. a warehouse or two i out do there. like french fries yeah. and that's yeah that's all it takes <laughs> it's it, it, it is very it is very worrisome worrisome because I got this wrong. It's not g or Elysium, which was the other reference. It's mm. that in reverse, which is somehow even worse. Right. Because this is the planet you're actively ruining. Right. So you already have to make the effort to fix it anyway. Anyway. That's the worst part. Right. You have to spend all the money yeah. and effort and resources to fix the planet. Yeah. So that then you can move everybody else off of space, which, by the way, gets at a lot of what this tech thinking is ultimately about, which is just- basically, when it gets down to it, it's just eugenics. That's all it is. It's the same thing with a lot of these Bezos or Musk worshippers will hit you with stuff about overpopulation or how (laughs) there's a skills gap or whatever the hell. And all it ever comes down to is, you know, it it would be the earth could be saved if only there were fewer of these poor. And in the case of these people, uh, in in the case of the people I'm talking about, the way they're thinking – a lot less of these poor and usually people of color yeah. hanging around making life hard for us, the chosen.
3: Right. So, so I don't want to sympathize with that mindset at all. But I would like to point out just the. I can. I understand why it's easy for people to feel that way in the tech industry, and like the libertarian mindset is rampant is rampant in the tech industry. And the reason is is because it's very easy to sit behind your computer and write code, and make an app or a website or whatever. I mean, that's what I do. I build websites professionally. So it's very easy to sit there on your laptop three in the morning, writing some code, finish it up, launch a thing, start making a ton of money and go, I did this. I did this myself. This is a product of my mind, right? But it's, it highlights a huge problem that we have where they're neglecting to think of all the people who are mining rare earth metals, the people that work at Foxconn, all these people that made that, just that laptop. Forget the network. Forget the. Forget the internet. Forget the cables that are running under the ocean because the internet is a series of tubes.
2: Thank you, Ted Stevens. Uh,
3: yeah, <laughs> but that's right. the, that's the thing. I, so again, I'm not sympathizing. I'm just trying to like psychologically under like sort of understand where this libertarian mindset comes from and it's really just that that they're not taking a new and i and i try to do that with my tech friends that i'm on other podcasts with and things like that to remind them like you it feels like you're an island because you're it's three in the morning you're all by yourself but everything that you have came from somebody else yeah like that's the that's the end of it
2: It, it's kind of like uh it's kind of like people who watched the blair witch project and went you know what made that movie good it was uh you know what made that movie good it was the shaky cam. We're just going to put shaky cam <laughs> on there. <laughs>
3: Perfect.
1: <laughs> now, um you had brought up uh eugenics and the overpopulation problem, air quotes, Ooh, super point. air quotes, yeah. Um but Speaking point, quotes, of yeah. that, thank you. Um Amazon also has another issue where they're uh selling their facial recognition technology to the police and to ICE. So um that's not great, and employees are very upset about it, Ryan. Did't you
2: say that the the name of this thing is particularly stupid?
1: It's a recognition mm-hmm. spelled with a k there it is, so uh, those are your geniuses some folks. of it yeah <laughs>
2: it's. It is really, I mean, we've said this before on the show, but like the mask is off at this point. <laughs> They're not even pretending to put an in effort right, right, yeah.
1: into into these things. Right. And this is uh, from a Gizmodo article about this, I think last June. Um, quote, earlier this week, several Amazon shareholders called on the company to stop selling recognition to the police. That backlash has now spread among employees as well. Our company should not be in the surveillance business. We should not be in the policing business. We should not be in the business of supporting those who monitor and impress marginalized populations, the employee letter states. I think we can all agree with that. Absolutely. But um, as we had just briefly touched on at the start of the segment, um, that shareholder proposal to not do that anymore got uh, voted down at their latest uh, meeting. So Does it say how badly? Uh, no, I, I don't think mm-hmm. there was information in, as to how the vote broke down. But you're seeing, you know, this is something that actually started with shareholders and you know, workers were on that side as well. But the majority of shareholders, you know, have a duty to the bottom line, you know? All right. Please. Yeah. And by Supreme
2: Court jurisprudence, not just, you know, yeah. the only, the literally only duty of a corporation is increasing shareholder value. So even if shareholders want some kind of social – corporate social responsibility that actually has teeth in it, if they want to fix the planet and not just so they can force everybody onto satellite farms, (laughs) if they want to do any of this, I mean we've – the system has been put together in such a way that it is functionally as impossible as it could get for them to do that from a legal standpoint, from an economic standpoint, from a moral standpoint. They can, have, they can be on the right side of history all they want. The system mm-hmm. is designed to make it impossible for them to actually put that into action.
3: Mm-hmm. Right.
1: Not to be outdone, Microsoft also has a very similar issue brewing within its ranks. Um, there's a contract uh, they have with ICE, uh, $19.4 million <laughs> for its Microsoft Azure product to be used for artificial intelligence, facial recognition, and data processing. The letter states that the powerful capabilities given to ICE through its contract allow the agency to enact inhumane and cruel policies. This is, again, another employee letter to the company that uh, was made public and, again, another company where the employees are against the thing they are being made to do, and this is a growing trend.
2: Okay. I wonder how much of this and and this might be one of the few positives about the tech industry in this regard. I wonder how much of this might be driven by the well-known tendency of tech companies to use immigrant labor uh through H- H-1B visas and things like that and then take advantage of those employees, which is what they do with all of their employees. And I wonder if you know, if you're a full-time employee at Microsoft or Alphabet or whatever and you've been working with people who are here on those visas and companies are suddenly beginning to treat them as indentured servants because that's how the visa system sets them up to be, mm-hmm. uh, you might begin to develop a conscience about the rights of immigrants or if you're friends with somebody or if you help somebody get their citizenship or what have you. Like there's, This is one of the few good things about that, that they get to see this in a very real sense that maybe a lot of us don't and that might drive them to be a little bit more... Um, to have a little bit more follow-through on on Mm. seeking these goals.
1: I had a similar but maybe more cynical thought, which is that, you know, I wonder if we'd be seeing the same backlash if it wasn't Donald Trump that was president. I I think the Trump administration has made these issues of, you know, immigration enforcement and policing, you know, so very public and so very uh, charged. You know, it's impossible for Google's liberal employees to ignore, whereas perhaps, you know, if— it were Obama's third term somehow, this might not be, you know, <laughs> don't, something don't more speak that into the universe. <laughs> but no, you're absolutely right.
2: One of the, uh, it's not a benefit, uh, but one of the only net positives maybe of the current. Yeah, it's hard it, it's to it's know hard to use how to a feel term. about that. But, <laughs> but one of the few things about it is that it's finally, once the government stopped pretending to be nice about these things, it allowed a lot of people to finally feel okay with hating them. It was one mm-hmm. thing when it was the nice rhetorical master who used to be a constitutional law professor, but when it's, you know, the guy whose main claim to fame is running casinos into the ground, <coughs> then suddenly it became much easier to uh, despise the same things that our government has been doing for decades. Mm-hmm.
1: right. I think their CEO, Satya Nadella, had responded to this criticism saying, you know, their tech was only being used for administrative purposes and not, this was around the time of the big family separation controversy and crisis that drew a lot of media attention and a lot of criticism. I I think it's, uh, the Amazon issue also arose around this time as, you know, all eyes were on ice at the time. Mm -hmm. All eyes were on ice. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, the Microsoft employee letter reads: uh, "As the people who build the technologies that Microsoft profits from, we refuse to be complicit." And I, you know, that's as strong a statement as yeah. I, I think yeah. you could hope for from employees. But one person who doesn't refuse to be complicit is Jeff Bezos. No. Now, there was a um, Jeff. Jeffy. <laughs> He was speaking at a Wired conference or something just a few months ago about, you know, the backlash from workers towards uh, not just these ICE contracts, but also contracts with the Department of Defense, which we'll get into a bit more later. Um, Quote, if big tech companies are going to turn their back on the U.S. Department of Defense, this country is going to be in trouble, said Bezos. Is it? (laughs) Is it though? (laughs) It, the part of the country he looks, I guess, is going to be in trouble. The, it, it,
2: that, that's how the F-35 got built. That's how USS Zumwalt got built. And neither of those things works. Mm-hmm. I, it, I kind of feel like if, I mean, not that our much-vaunted national security is a good thing, but if big tech companies stop providing services to the Department of Defense, that might force them to build
1: things that work. He still has a rosy view of the government, despite running the Washington Post. Which is just <laughs> Look, wild.
2: Democracy then. dies in the dark. Uh, how
3: dare you? <laughs> how dare you? He's the good billionaire, <laughs> okay? right? Right. 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 Yeah. Uh, well, this type of this type of tech too, I think it, it's it's worth noting how this plays into th- their long term vision for the future, right? The dystopic version, which is to say, they're developing facial recognition, uh, you know, technology. Um, uh project maven that was the google one right that was um terrible name it. yeah right right but but so they're they're trying to make law enforcement easier mm-hmm. right which long term i mean who are the police notorious for policing those who are marginalized and in poverty mm-hmm. so they're working against labor and humanity on many aspects right they're they're destabilizing mm-hmm. labor and then they're also setting up a future where it's easier to put the poor in prison.
2: So where, uh, prison that will be administered by space and robots. Space
1: Marines robots.
2: Yes, <laughs> <Yeah>. Space Marine <laughs> right. robots. Right, there exactly. We go. There it. Is.
1: Now, we're, now, now we're getting to it. <laughs> if all this is getting you down, we hope to be a little more positive after this break as we wrap up the show. Hey, hey guys. You know that feeling you have at work? That dead inside feeling? Bad news, we can't really help with that. Good news, we can help you waste some time at work.
2: You're listening to Punching Out on WAYO-LP-FM
1: Rochester. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Earl Hi. and Noah. Hi, still, y'all. Um, we're, we've been talking about the tech industry and... The ways in which, you know, shareholder goals apparently do not align with the workers' interests.
0: Mm. No.
1: Um, that not, seems bad. Yeah. Not just in terms of, you know, wages and salaries, but also on issues of social importance. You know, uh, should Google or Microsoft ally with ICE? Should they partner with the Department of Defense? And workers have generally come down on the side of no, which uh, is good. Which we agree yeah. with, by the way. yeah, Right. Mm-hmm. Amazon's employees had written a letter about um, climate change and also about their facial recognition tech, and Microsoft employees had, you know, spoken out about them having a contract with ICE. And in both of those cases, you know, Amazon shot down its workers' proposals, and Microsoft still has that contract with ICE. But in the case of Google, we have a success story. You know, a case where tech workers, you know, banded together and actually forced change from the company. Right. That's great.
2: You mean they they actually made Google stick to the don't be evil thing that they yeah. no longer go by? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I like how they, they dropped that. Yeah, that was...
2: Yeah. <laughs> now, the
1: issue workers had there that we're going to talk about, at least, it was this thing called Project Maven, which was Google's AI tech was going to help the Department of Defense basically uh, do drone strikes better. Yeah, Which... So obviously bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, uh, what does that even mean? I, in theory, it means be more accurate, but yeah.
3: so kill yeah. more civilians. That's well, then. the No, I, I imagine that the pitch was probably we're going to use machine learning to lower collateral damage, right? Which is like, and then people are supposed but to go. Oh, that's
2: but but the thing good. is, it's less accuracy that lowers collateral damage because then it just goes into the middle of freaking nowhere. There, touche.
1: Yeah. I, there's like this anecdote that's sort of similar. Um, like Banksy had visited like the wall and <laughs> I know the wall in Israel between Israel and Palestine, and um, you know he had done some graffiti on this wall, and I, I think he had talked to. It it might not have been him. It might have been some reporter talked to a Palestinian there, you know, saying, you know, isn't this great? And he's like, no, I don't (laughs) want this to look beautiful. I hate this wall. Yeah. And, (laughs) you know, know, here in this case, making the thing better sort of misses the point. Absolutely misses the point. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Quoting from the New York Times, uh, this is from the last May, so about a year ago now. Uh, Quote, the internal debate over Maven, viewed by both supporters and opponents as opening the door to much bigger defense contracts, generated a petition signed by about 4,000 employees who demanded a clear policy stating that neither Google nor its contractors will ever build warfare technology. Specifically, they we're focused on the, the subsidiary uh, DeepMind, which had Google had acquired a few years prior. Horrible name. Um, executives there have said they're completely opposed to military and surveillance work, and employees at the lab have protested the contract. The acquisition agreement between the two companies said DeepMind technology would never be used for military or surveillance purposes. And yet, here they were. Um, and about a dozen Google employees had resigned over the issue. And this was a contract that was you know, fairly lucrative for Google. Uh, Gizmodo reported that IBM was also in the running and Amazon and Microsoft, which we've talked about already. Uh, quote, quoting from Gizmodo, one of the terms of Google's contract with the de- Defense Department was that Google's involvement would not be mentioned without the company's permission. So, you know, they weren't exactly advertising this, but. So they knew. They knew this was a bad look. Right. Right. So that's
2: the thing. Because again, not to be positive, but (laughs) give somebody like Bezos or uh, the CEO of Microsoft, Nadella, give them this. At least they're willing to admit that they're terrible human beings. Mm -hmm. Google, even though they long ago dropped any pretense of being anything than just another tech company uh, out for the bottom line, you know, they, they were still – they still had just enough of a guilty conscience to be like, I want to do this. I want to get the money from it. I want to force my workers to do all of this terrible stuff. But right. I don't want anyone to know unless I, I give right. them
3: the go-ahead. It's the the nice guy of tech companies. Like- capital N, capital <laughs> G,
2: yeah.
0: yeah, right, yeah.
3: Um, And just, and again, yeah, I know this is supposed to be our positive segment, but I just, I can't help but point out how this is a great example of how capitalism is effectively erased to the bottom. Right. Going back to what you were saying, Noah, earlier about how it's, it's almost impossible to do the right thing. Right. In order for these companies to compete, they have to, they have to do these things because otherwise the the less scrupulous company will come along and say, yeah, man, we'll help you. We'll help Mm -hmm. you drone strike people better. We don't care. Uh, And so that's the way that we end up with systems that are just so morally bankrupt, and it's because you have to be to exist. Mm.
1: Mm. Now, a few days after this New York Times article, uh, Google announced that they would not be renewing this contract, which was a victory for the workers. Now, that Ooh. victory didn't come Yay. without effort. Uh, as uh, There was an, an interview of, I think, a week later or so in, in Jacobin with a couple of the people responsible for... Organizing the opposition to Project Maven, quoting from one of the employees they were talking to there, uh, during they had like a Q and A session about the issue because Google had realized hmm, employees aren't happy about this. Um, several of the questions were about Project Maven. Leadership got hammered. This was totally unplanned, and I don't think anyone expected such a forceful re- employee response. Hmm. One woman stood up and said something like, hey, I left the defense department, so I wouldn't have to work on this kind of stuff. What kind of voice do we have besides this Q&A to explain why this project is not okay? Sergey Brin, one of Google's co-founders, responded first. And his response really paid us dividends. He said something like, letting you ask that question is the voice that you have. Very (laughs) few companies would allow you to do that. Woo, congratulations. Yes. Yeah.
2: You're a slightly less abusive yeah. company than everywhere else. Well,
3: and that, that speaks to the, the culture that they're that they're working in, right? Is that Google didn't expect anyone to care about this? Uh-huh. They thought yeah, this is per- this is perfectly reasonable day-to-day business that they didn't expect anyone in the company to go, "Dudes, no
2: that that's pretty classic management thinking though every yeah, time so. you every time you ask for something material like that like involvement in the process like if all you ask for is oh i don't know uh your boss your boss to occasionally i don't know have an open door policy or something like that they're willing to do that because that puts the onus on you. But the moment you actually say this is morally wrong, then suddenly it's like you know how many companies wouldn't even let you say right. that it's morally wrong yeah. like i'm being the yeah. nicest person. And well, well, that's that's thank something that comes God God up. That the, in, yeah, you know, sorry. Yeah.
3: In the U.S. in general, people are just like, you know how lucky you are to live here. That you yes. get to say
1: that stuff. You know what I mean? It's like, I mean, yeah, yeah. But come on. And you know? uh, <laughs> so suffice to say, that comment didn't go over well. And <laughs> no. After this Q and A. Uh, you know there were what we might call working groups formed at google some people were collecting media coverage of the contract uh, some were collecting stories from the people who had resigned over it there were internal memes which you know oh boy not generally a fan of but here they seem to have done a good thing don't lie <laughs> And Google responded to this by having, you know, small group meetings. You know, they broke the workforce into smaller pieces. This is a common tactic. Mm-hmm. Uh, no Divide I and conquer. You might remember this was something that Riot Games had mm-hmm. done in response to, you know, accusations about its sexual harassment culture, which was also a thing at Google, but not yeah. what we're discussing today. In the end, like we said, Google did not renew this contract. And that's because, as we discussed earlier, workers have power that Outside activists do not, you know, they control right. something about that process that allows them to say no. You know, they actually have power in, in this situation.
3: Yeah. Well, and that was something too that some of the news sources did was that they they talked about this being an activist led. They, they, it was almost as if they were purposely skirting the idea that workers were the ones mm-hmm. that were behind this. They were saying this was an active activist led uh, thing at Google, which. I mean, it's just wrong. It's, yeah. know, work, workers were flexing the power that they still have. And, yeah, but yeah, you can't yeah. admit that because all of those news sources are getting their
2: revenue streams and whatnot from right. those same tech companies. So right. uh, they all have to be argent provocateur or whatever. <laughs> right.
1: I, I think this was put really well in The Guardian. There was a column by Ben Tarnoff, um, quote – In my own conversations with its participants, they've explained that they don't want to keep pressuring their CEOs into dropping certain contracts. Rather, they want a seat at the table where decisions are made. They want to help determine how the technologies are built and if they're even built in the first place. As a letter written by Amazon Workers explains, we demand a choice in what we build and a say in how it is used. The reason is simple: they've learned that management can't be trusted to make these decisions alone. Management must always prioritize one thing—the bottom line. That's not because specific executives are greedy, but because the position they occupy compels them to place profitability and shareholder value above all else, even if it means selling technology that helps ice lock children in cages. That's uh, exactly yeah. it.
3: And I, I just—I wonder if those those people that made that statement know that they're talking about socialism. You know, like, I wonder if they know, like, like, it's this novel idea, like, all we want is democratic control of decision making Mm. at work. It's like,
1: you know, there's a bunch of people working towards um, that. This, quote much of that was the writer at the Guardian. Oh, so sure, he yeah, probably Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah, knows what he's doing yeah. there. But mm. you know, but we but I, agree.
3: Yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, yeah. I just hope that people that are struggling with it, struggling with that idea of like, man, I really wish we had more say at work, knows that there's groups of people that they can turn to. Yeah, uh, who Those also are called unions, who also want that. Yeah, well, even <laughs> but, yeah, even going beyond that, political yeah, organizations, yeah. things like that. Yeah. But so one of the, one of the things I just want to make sure that we that we touch on uh, on this episode is that I don't want people to become anti. Technologists, like I mm-hmm. don't want them to, because under different uh, organizational, uh, you know, standards, AI is great. It's great at certain things. Uh, you know, if we need to figure out the best way to distribute food around the planet, uh, you know, help help us crunch numbers in terms of f- gridlock or any of that stuff. AI is great at that, and if and if that type of programming and intelligence is under social control, it can be very, very effective and very helpful to us. That's generally true of lots of these different technologies. So what I don't want people to do, and I think this is something that I see happening, uh, is people just saying, just basically, you know, screw technology. Like it's, it's just, they're becoming our overlords, blah, 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 blah. But imagine having an Alexa that wasn't from Amazon. Like it would be great to be able to talk to a computer that actually worked for you and wasn't just, harvesting your information to sell you more crap. I'm down with that future, but we can't get there with these guys. Mm-hmm.
0: Tech
1: is good. The tech industry sucks. Yes, that's yes. perfect. Well, well done. <laughs> yeah. I should have just said that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's it's again coming from the educational part. Yeah, it's the same thing for us. These things are tools. What matters is not the thing itself, though. I think you can argue that in the case of something like recognition or something like that or right. Project Maven. Yeah. Maybe that is part of the problem. But what matters more than anything is the inputs. And on, and we are still in control of those. We have mm-hmm. not invented Skynet yet. Mm-hmm. We have not invented, you know, the machines from Dune. We <laughs> have not created a problem where we have self-replicating AI. Right. Mm-hmm. So as long as we remain in control of the inputs,
3: there is nothing wrong with the technology itself. The fault lies in us. Right. And yeah, it's important to note too that like so many things that we talk about with climate change, et cetera, clock is ticking, man. You know, like in Mm -hmm. terms of like the the rate of automation and the the power that labor has currently will not last forever. Like they're doing everything they can to undermine it uh, and it won't, it just won't last forever. So if you you are interested in making changes... We're reaching that bottleneck real quick, right? Exactly.
1: Um, We hope if you're working in tech that this sort of thing, you know, says, "Hey, you know, my company is doing bad things too. I can do something about it. Mm -hmm. I can, you know, hopefully put a stop to some of the things I don't like about my job. You know, tech or otherwise, really. I don't have anything else to say. So uh, for this week, I'm Ryan.
2: I'm Ro. I'm Noah.
1: This is Punching Out.